0: Hardcore surf history. Hello, and welcome to Hardcore Surf History bonus section. Uh, my name is Tyler Brewer, and this episode is in relation to our Women's Pro Genesis episode, on which we talked about the beginning of professional surfing for women. And this is a really awesome episode because I had the opportunity to interview Patty Panicia. Now, if you're not familiar with her, she was basically one of the founding members of the IPS Professional Surfing World Tour back in the mid-70s, 1977 to be exact. And she worked as the director of the Women's Tour alongside Fred Hemmings and Randy Rarick. Uh, What follows is a really incredible interview with her. She is just so fascinating to talk to, super smart. She went on to become... A incredible lawyer, and also a correspondent on CNN. Uh, She's achieved many different things. She still surfs. And God, like, what an incredible person. And also, it's fascinating to get real deep insight into what was going on at the beginning of the genesis of professional surfing, and particularly with women. Uh, So what follows here is a really wonderful insightful conversation with Patty and she gives us the behind the scenes kind of view of what was going on at the beginning of the pro tour and um, yeah we we hope you really enjoy this and we hope you enjoyed our uh, women's pro genesis episode this is just a nice little additive that we are doing to a lot of our episodes now and uh, we hope you enjoy this and uh, we'll see you on down the line soon enjoy
2: your rendition of my long and storied past
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 amazing you know like how much you can fit into a lifetime too and like all the things you've achieved it's it's amazing but also like fascinating in the sense that it's like one hand surf related and professional surfing but then it's professional related on top of it which not many, not many surfers can claim, particularly uh, of, of your generation, uh, particularly the, on the men's side, not many of them really explored beyond the, the surfing world. So, I mean, it's kind of amazing what you were able to achieve. Um, I wonder, like, you know, how much of having to fight for uh, access in the surf had to do with, with you going on in your professional life?
2: Wow, that's a really good question, you know. Um, I think it's, it's, it feels the same, you know, when, whether I was trying to get into television news, you know, it was a quest. You just, you just put yourself 110% in it. When I was at White House press conferences or, or trying to take the bar where normally I would be like, kind of concerned or maybe scary i think this is nowhere near as bad as surfing big sunset in terms of my at least i'm not going to die if i wake up or nowhere near as good as surfing big sunset rather but (laughs) you know so but i think yeah banging our heads against the wall in the 70s really gave me a a sense of who i was and i think it really did empower me you know to keep that with me
0: absolutely I know so like I had I have a couple co-hosts who normally do the show with me and unfortunately they couldn't make it and they were Karen who uh, is just a huge fan. I know she's kind of bummed she couldn't make it here, but she was super excited that you're going to be on the show. And yeah, we were kind of geeking out talking about it. Um, So I guess I want to start kind of from the beginning even like first, how how did you get into surfing? Because like we, my, my co-host Karen and I, we interviewed Sandy Ordile, uh late last year. And the way Sandy grew up surfing was she didn't know it was anything different about her learning to surf. It was just like, yeah, I'm just surfing with the boys and it's not a big deal. And she didn't realize it was such a big deal until she left her home. And I'm wondering if it was a similar experience for you or, or something completely opposite.
2: Well, first of all, I like your co-host. I like listening to her. I heard Sandy's interview, and I I would love to meet her sometime. Yeah. Um, She did a great job. Um, So uh, I I don't know. You know, my background was not textbook for most surfers. It was very odd. So I don't know because I grew up the daughter of immigrants in in a bad neighborhood in Los Angeles, (laughs) inner city, you know, East L.A. And um, I only discovered surfing. Um, when I visited my grandparents in Huntington Beach, and it was not an expensive town back then. And so we're talking about the late 50s, early 60s. There you go my age, 69 and counting. Um, and so we would we would, uh, we would go to the Huntington Beach Pier, and I'd watch the surfers. We'd be catching fish, and I'd see the guys in the water, and I just thought, this is cool. I want to do that. It never did occur to me in answer to your question that they were all guys and I was a little girl, you know, it ne- and you know, I used to just run down to the beach and say, can I try your surfboard? You know, <laughs> It's quite pitiful actually, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I feel like a lot of surfers have that though, growing up, it was like some kids stole boards or like when boards went loose, you know, particularly in that time period, uh, that's how a lot of kids got their start. <laughs> Did let me ask like then your parents were they were in, or so your first generation uh, where were they from originally Italy Italy the
2: hills okay. of Umbria mm-hmm.
0: what were they progressive in the sense where it's like your father like super encouraging uh, of you to to not let gender boundaries limit you or. Uh, and, and I'm curious like what their thoughts were when you started surfing
2: well honestly you know he was just trying to feed us we were really poor when we were young so he wasn't paying much attention and and I and he was i mean he was a great yeah. he was the smartest guy I know my dad but he had no education past third grade but he had started a business and he was you know he was a contractor and he did very well so over the years I was like i remember getting a bathtub thinking oh my God, were rich you know (laughs) so life you know life was getting better and then we you know they lived they bought a house in Huntington and then they you know expanded to Hawaii and it was like wow but um so my dad didn't know what to make of it because when you're when you're trying to you know scrape and they used to live by the way on the east coast in New Jersey before I was (laughs) born Um, and so but when you're trying to scrape by and you've got a kid that says I'd like to go surfing it just doesn't, it doesn't flow, right? So they never yeah. quite got it. They weren't fond of it, <laughs> you know? But, but on both, the other hand, I own. was on my own from the time I was about 17. I was gone. I mean, we, I, they didn't say go to college or, you know, I just figured, well, I'm, I guess I'm old enough now. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Did, um, Did um, I mean, I, and they, they also moved to Hawaii as well? At what age was that?
2: Well, uh, they started, my dad started doing business there when I was about 12 or 13, and I was kicking and screaming. We still were living in Los Angeles, too, um, and we still had the, the house near my grandparents in Huntington Beach, but his business was getting better, so he'd say, you know, come on, we're going to do business in Hawaii, and i go, I don't want to go there, you know, what did I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they left me uh, on the mainland a lot, and uh and I was, you know, 13, 14, you know, I would just stay there. But then I realized, you know, hey, what do I want to do? Be in the middle of all these, like, this drug culture in Los Angeles, right? Because that's what I was in the midst of and, yeah. and I'm part of or whatever, just a little kid even. Or look at all these really cool people and nice people. And, you know, I really, really got on with the guys from Wailua and Eva. I felt they felt most. I I felt most at home with them on the North Shore Mm -hmm. more than the visiting surfers. So that was sort of my, my my group, you know.
0: Did like what was the difference then, like of the surfers like in Huntington Beach compared to Hawaii? Like was there a different? I mean, obviously there's a different attitude, but I mean, I I guess what I'm trying to get is like, was there a different attitude toward women surfing, particularly?
2: I wouldn't even call myself a surfer in Huntington, so I really never got to know anybody. I would just sort of paddle out, usually by myself. Uh, Sometimes I'd bring a girlfriend with me, you know, from school or something. Um, Mm -hmm. But I never really became part of any kind of tribe until I was in Hawaii. So I don't Uh know. I mean, um, in Hawaii, we were... And the guys were welcoming to this day. I swear to this day, I'll go to Haleiwa, and that's where they all sit on a picnic bench. They're all in their seventies <laughs> now, and they'll go out with their stand-up boards and catch waves. You know, There's, and uh, it's still my favorite crew. You know, it's still my my uh, favorite crew. I,
0: because I, like I, I get a sense, and this is difficult for me to 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 totally understand, um, but I get a sense that Hawaiian culture was more. Equal in terms of women and how they treated treated women and respected them in the lineup and and in terms of surfing and I mean and From research and reading I've done and on ancient Hawaiian culture. It was quite equal in that sense There was no major divide and some of the best surfers were women surfers even Um, So it's just always I always find that really fascinating how particularly like mainland surf culture and its interpretation of surfing and how it, it butt up with Hawaiian surf culture almost and how the two kind of fused even, you know, does that sense kind of, kind of how you, you kind of saw that, I guess, or could, could see that.
2: Well, I looked at it through like the microcosm of, of the North shore. I lived in Wailua, which is just Mm. outside of Haleiwa. And so, um, the mainland guys I would mostly meet when they came to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I mean, after, by the time I was 18 or so, I just really didn't surf on the mainland until I moved over there m- many years later to go to law school at Pepperdine on the beach at Malibu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no coincidence there. Not at all. But, um, and, and I, I don't know, I, I, I never sensed the difference, but I know this: the Hawaiians were always welcoming to welcoming to women. It wasn't so unusual for them. This, there weren't a lot of women, especially on the North Shore. There were a handful of us in the early seventies, <clears throat> but but um, it, the Hawaiians and, and the local people were always welcoming. I found in the water.
0: Now, who who were who is the first female that you started surfing with in Hawaii?
2: You know my best friend back then was Sally Prang and she was a pro surfer and she to this day surfs better than me. She, I just never caught up to her. I bought a surfboard off of her. You know I need I wanted a smaller board. I only had this one board. I believe um, it was a 63,
0: like three, right? The, the,
2: my no my first board was like 9, but yeah. No, no what you bought off South. her was a 63. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a small yellow board. I can't remember the, the label on it, but, but I heard she was selling it. And I, you know, she said she wanted, I can't remember, she said what she wanted to buy it for, and I offered her less, thinking we would negotiate. And Sally goes, oh, if that's all you can afford, you can have it for that much. And I went, what is wrong with this person? You know, sweet Sally and scrappy me, right, from L.A. And, uh, so, and then she said, I'll paddle out with you and, and see if you like it. And she was just so kind, and then I, I just surfed with her every day. After that, we just we were the best friends. We surfed everywhere together.
0: What was like your yeah. main spot that you you both of you would go out and surf? What were the, like your what were your bread and butter waves?
2: Well, when I first bought it from her, it was summer, and I had rented this apartment in town. I was only like, I think, barely eighteen. Uh, maybe 17 just across from the Ilikai cuz the country was flat so i thought yeah. oh i'm going to go live in town right for the summer anyway i got a job at some restaurant waiting tables and uh, so we would run across this we were right on Almawana Boulevard across from the Ilikai run across underneath the Ilakai parking area cuz it was a shortcut have while the parking attendant guy chased us get out of here with your surfboard <laughs> and we'd get to the harbor and we'd um, either paddle out, we'd just look, and either it'd be rock piles, or to the right was Moana, to the left was Kaiser's Bowl. And we'd kind of look and see which one did we feel like surfing on that morning. That, but that area there for a couple of months. And then, of course, on the North Shore, was completely different. Um, I'd say there were three or four spots. There was always right in front of our house in Wailua, but if I told you where, I'd have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs>
1: <Fair enough. laughs>
2: closest, Fair enough. closest to us was Haleiva, and we would surf Laniakea a lot. Mm. I didn't paddle out to Chun's much. And then going more north, we would surf Ehukai, um, Pipeline when it was small. You know, I never yeah. really, I'm not a goofy foot. I never was too interested in Pipeline at the time. Uh, Pupakea, sometimes gas chambers, sometimes Rockies, and then Sunset. Uh, I think those were all of our go to places.
0: Were you aware when you would paddle out, like, I'm one of the only females or or, we're one of the only females out here? Or was it like just doing this And, and how much of that awareness, like, would it affect your performance even? Would you think, right, I have to perform a certain way or I have to do something to kind of prove myself?
2: I never paddled out and saw women I, I didn't know because there were only like five or six of us in the whole North Shore, you know, and I can <laughs> tell you who they were. It was me and Sally and Becky Benson and her sister Blanche Benson and mm, Terry Melanson and then Elaine Davis moved there for a while and Linda Volley came over like maybe four or five years later. Jersey but, represent. But, you know, for the most part... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, it was just... Uh, and Dale Dolan, you know, Dale Kimura Dolin and... Uh, so um, I, I never really—it uh, was—it just seemed normal that there were just no women because there just weren't any women interested. Um, but in terms of if I, if I had felt like I was on the spot, you know, like you said, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes you know, especially on the North Shore, when your bar is high, but you don't know that it's high—you just that's your norm, and that's kind mm-hmm. of a good thing, right? I'm going to attain to surf like everybody around me and take these level of risks, and I always thought that was normal. Uh, and it is, I guess, but uh, it was always important uh, that when I first paddled out, I better make sure I got a good wave, a good set wave, and then I surfed it, because, you know, if, if you paddle out and wipe out on your first wave, it's going to be hard to get more waves, because they're already sort of, they're already thinking, oh, here comes this girl, and I'm going to have to rescue her when she drowns, because these waves are too big for her, you know, and that that was always uh, that was always
0: this is, there. This is pre-leash, by the way. So, like, you were swimming quite a bit, I imagine. <laughs> not you particularly. I mean, I, I just people in general, not you. I didn't mean you particularly. <laughs> like, I meant just. I wasn't saying anything about your surfing ability. I swear. <laughs> I just think like, people in general were, were pat were swimming quite a bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, and in Hawaii, that's not good because there's a rip on the North Shore called Kauai Hapai. Hapai mm-hmm. means to carry. It's the word, you know, Hawaiians use for pregnant, actually. And your board floats, uh, you know, from uh, sunset toward Haliva and then goes straight out to Kauai. <laughs> so when you, when we used to wipe out, depending if the waves are big, uh, yeah. you know, that may be the end of your board, but, you know, even trying to get in in some of those rips was hard, but, you know, we used to think that, oh, they ripped the, the leashes were most dangerous in big waves because, you know, they were springy and they're, they're not quite Snip like, and then it would go you. boing and it would come right back in you, you know, at your face, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a learning process with the leashes.
0: Did, um. Who were some of the shapers that you would work with? Uh, would you and were they shaped specifically for you, or were you just getting boards off the rack? I'm kind Never of curious. Never got one like, off the
2: rack. Never no. did back then because we were on the North Shore. There were so many garage shapers and yes. just underground people. But but they turn into like the world's best because you just kind of grow with them. So uh, so some of my shapers were uh, a guy named Kent Smith. In, in the early days or oh, before that Layton Haga in town he he ended up with Craig Sugihara's company town and country wow. but then it was like um uh well I loved Mike Diffendurfer. oh my god that I, uh, I what loved Mike Diffender
0: like oh my god I, I rode
2: for uh surfboards Haleva, and he was my shaper
0: no way
2: so fun and what? Tom Parrish I
0: don't know if you remember Tom. Tom, he's a a lawyer contemporary as well. He went on to be a lawyer too. But his reasons for being a lawyer were because he didn't want to get screwed over by a surf company again, apparently. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I have to talk to him about that. That's the story I've heard.
2: (laughs) heard. (laughs) Um, Jim Richardson. And uh, Jim was on his way to being tops, but he went off to graduate school at Wharton. And he's like so smart that he he. When I came back, you know, he shaped some boards for me. And then, um, uh, oh, I have an old Pat Rawson in my uh, in my uh, rafters here. I, I have to take that down and see what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, so those, but those were a lot of the boards that I rode. You know, just everybody well, lives there. So.
0: What was Diff like like to, to like what was his, his what would his process be when you would get a board shaped by him I'm curious because god like he's so legendary and and seems like such a sweet person too
2: you know he was and he um I had remembered him from my you know really Grammy day seeing him in Surfer Magazine so I was even then I was in awe of uh, I was in awe of everybody but um so I re- what I remember about him that I liked so much is I used to go to shapers and I'd say and not even the ones I mentioned. I mean, oh I had a brewer too um, wow. and but I would go to these different shapers the, not necessarily these guys but I had a lot of different boards over those decades so and I would say, you know can you just look women are built differently than men
0: mm-hmm.
2: you, you know we carry our weight in our hips a little more. We don't have these great big chests and and we don't have these, super duper strong paddling arms so when we're paddling to catch a wave we need some more weight up front that's the first thing i would say can you help me with that and you know and and i would kind of have all these like theories and diff sat there and listened to me and he put his eyes up and he was kind of going hmm let me think i think we can and then he talked his shaper talk and did his surfer magic surf shaping magic and i just went cool board you know and then we you know went from there and it was God. fun. I, I took that, I took a for board with me on the very first world tour. Wow! Um, but I sold it in Rio de Janeiro because I ran out of money, <laughs> and I had gotten a, a less expensive board from a guy in South Africa along the way, named Michael Lermont. Hmm. So I, I rode that for the rest of the tour and, and ate with the diff, the money from the, <laughs> the <diffinder> for board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I love that you had to break it down to the shapers like, look, we're shaped differently and these boards have to be done differently. And I imagine like a lot of shapers were not thinking that. And even up until recently, I think it's it's not been very well thought out in terms of shapes for women, you know, and I think it it's actually to be honest like I think it's a super missed opportunity right now by shapers if they you know the women's surf population is growing and I'm kind of surprised no one has taken advantage of that and to make specific boards for women at least from a marketing standpoint I'm curious
2: you know that's a great idea because that and a lot of other things that occurred to us for instance you know when men have these big chests especially when they're you know, like, you know, built like Alan Sarlo, right? Mm -hmm. They can do a turn and they can lean in and they can shift all that chest weight into, whereas we've got, what are we going to do? Put our butt over the side of the board, you know? (laughs) So I think we need, I I think we need, and and honestly, I don't know, I kind of know how that translates to shape because, you know, just from my years of experience, but I would never presume to know what they know if you told them that you know shapers that because a good shaper would say yeah you need to you know bring in the rail here sharpen this rail here let's put some v let's you know whatever it is they would then translate it which always i always thought the shapers were so magical because that's just not my skill set
0: it's not my gift (laughs) no same here (laughs) you have to be very detailed oriented and have an eye for it and uh I haven't either of them. Maybe an eye, but not a detail. <laughs> um, I'm curious then, like, when did the professional surfing thing enter the mindset? Like, cause here you are early seventies, you know, you're, you're surfing North shore, no doubt, probably getting some attention, uh, you know, but, but whatever limited attention they would give to, to women in the surf mags. But, The talk of some sort of professional surfing life, like, were you thinking, I'm just going to surf here for the next few years and then go to college? Or were you thinking, I have an opportunity here to make something of this? And I'm curious, like, how that came into being and how, how it formed.
2: Yeah, so there was no attention paid. There was no cable TV on the North Shore the first half of the 70s. There was no radio. We lived in a vacuum of surfing, and there were no pros coming through. It was just the local guys and uh, and some California, you know, people who who had kind of uh, moved there and were living there for the winter, and 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 that was seemed like that was all over the North Shore. So. Um, now I've
0: forgotten the question <laughs> I'm like how did so, how did the talk and how the how idea did, oh, get the, start oh, like for, yeah. for, for you becoming a professional surfer and yeah. were, were, you know like because I imagine you wouldn't be you're not thinking uh, at that age like right I'm gonna be a professional surfer like it 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 how did they get dreamed up and I'm curious like were there conversations with you and other women or yeah like what what were the the, the points that really made it? come into being we
2: were we were not professional athletes with that charm that goes with that name we were considered (laughs) bohemian we were juvenile delinquents in a lot of people's (laughs) you know views it was like do-gooders i mean do nothing you know what all you do is surf what's your problem you know we were sort of looked at as degenerates i think um and 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 then all of a sudden um uh, Billie Jean King came along, Women's Athletics, that helped it a little bit, and then, you know, we started entering some contests, but even contests kind of went down in popularity during that time. They were uncool. So, um, but, but we formed a group called the Hawaii Women's Surfing Hui, and yes. we decided we're going to encourage more women to surf. And that group, and that was the first time we ever got any attention, and no, we weren't in surfer magazines. You'd be hard-pressed to find any woman in surfer magazine for the first half and most of the 70s. There were yeah. a couple in the second half, but that's what that was like. Um, so, you know, once we firmed the hooey, we decided we put on our own contest. We we, um, we did an expression session At to Rocky bring Point. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you know that. Okay. I've I've done my research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a great day. You know, we thought, this will get them. It's, you know, you can shoot Rockies right from this, right from the beach, and you're right there, you know, the waves breaking right in front of you. It's such an easy shoot, right? They didn't show up. There was like one photographer, Gary Terrell, who showed up, and he's got a lot of photos, but nobody can seem to find him these days. So, Gary, if you're listening, call me.
0: Uh, <laughs> serious he's sitting on and, a on a gold mine right now I
2: think yeah 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 so you know that's kind of how the the, the snowball started getting pushed down the hill and then it wasn't until um, I, I guess 70 well I started working with Fred Hemmings he, he invited us to surf against the men in the Smirnoff uh, yeah. so that was 74 I think so and then I surfed I, I in it in 75 in my heat in my heat, Tyler, was, are you ready for this? Yes. Uh, um, Eddie Icow, <laughs> T- Terry Fitzgerald, uh, Sammy Hawk, Al <laughs> Chapman, and me. And uh, the sunset, when I paddled out, was Hawaiians judging it from the back, 12 to 15 feet. It had been rising all day. My heat went out like in the, in the, in the mid-afternoon, and it was storm surf but sunny kind of a weird day and uh and i actually with competing against those guys i actually snagged two waves but unfortunately they take your best three so i didn't advance and uh but you know i you know it was an experience but you know it was okay uh, did, you, did
0: you take the piss out of Sam Hawk and his Playgirl uh, shoot, at least, you know?
2: <laughs> Never even talked to the guy, but I've got this picture of us all sitting around with Rabbit K. Kai in our jerseys with Rabbit K. Kai giving us our heat instructions. Wow. And And what I remember most about that contest is my mom showed up, and I don't no think way. she had ever seen me surf before. Can you believe it? and so she was there and she was sitting under this like umbrella and she saw me walk by and she was looking at the waves and they had just called my name to check in for my heat and she looked at me and she said in the most horrible voice you come right back here right now you're not paddling out there you're gonna drown you know like a ball just like in front of like Hundreds of people on the beach. She grabbed the back of my jersey. That's right. I had it on because she grabbed the back. And, you know, it was stretchy, you know. It was a yellow jersey. And I was like, let go, you know. And I went over to the uh, completely humiliated and not focused on surfing. And I went over to the contestants only area. And I pretended like I didn't know her. Oh, sorry, Mom. She's not with us any longer. But... And I
0: just couldn't handle it. Moms, you know? Moms. gotta love them, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Let me, let me ask you, what do you think Fred Heming's intention was in inviting the women to compete with the men? Was it altruistic? Was he trying to be like, yeah, you guys can compete with us? Or was he trying to be more... Uh, I don't want to call him misogynistic, but being more like, yeah, let's see how you do up against the guys. You want to compete here, you got to compete against the guy's type of attitude. because I, I, I always have mixed feelings about Fred Hemings, to be honest. Like I, I'm very have a lot of respect for what he did, but also I think his views sometimes I'm not always on board with.
2: So Fred is like to me like an annoying older brother whom I love dearly. <laughs> Uh, you know, like he always wants to stick my pigtails in the inkwell. You know what I mean? He always wants to challenge me, but I tell him, "Fred, don't go there." You know, I've gone to law school now. I teach gender and law. You know, but <laughs> he, every conversation starts out with us. You know, it's and Rand, with Randy Rarick in the middle, going, "Are you two done yet?" So we can get some work done. I mean, this is our dynamic, and always will be. So at the time, I mean, you'd have to ask Fred. But at the time, he'll tell you, I think he was being, you know, uh, um, opportunistic in the sense that, I mean, that was a media grabber, right? Billie Jean King. And he used Mm. to say to us all the time, you want to be equal, equal, paddle out in that. And Mm. he still thinks that. And so we just said, okay, bring it on. But, you know. (laughs) Was he the one that
0: tried to get candy (laughs) pants to sponsor you guys?
2: No, no, that wasn't Fred. (laughs) You know, that's when we had the expression session, when we were trying to get money to go on the South Africa tour and, and Brazil and, and, you know, the whole first world tour. We had no money. We You know, our sponsors were great, but big deal. I got a free surfboards, mm-hmm. which I was grateful for always, yeah. always. Surfboards, Eva, and other places in other years. But, um, and, you know, free wetsuits. Thank you. Thank you, O'Neill. I rode for them for a little bit. But the fact is we... We didn't have money to pay our airfare or eat, you know, those, those things that are kind of important to go on tour with. And so um, we, we tried to, um, we, we did a newspaper article, you know, we, we drummed up saying we need money. And the only sponsor that responded was Candy Pants.
0: Can you tell our listeners what Candy Pants was?
2: Yeah, I didn't know until they contacted me. I was the were you excited at first? Like, Candy
0: Pets is our sponsor. No.
2: <laughs> I, the name was suspicious. Edible underwear. <laughs> um, they were cinnamon flavored. They wanted us to stand Ouch. at something, some kind of little sidewalk stand in Waikiki. And we always have this joke, and to this day I remember it because we used to say it so often. What are we going to do? Excuse me, Mr. Or Mrs. Waikiki visitor from Iowa. Hungry, you know, (laughs) what do we, you know, but we said no. And then they did another article about us, about us turning down candy pads, as if it was the world's funniest article, but we were like, what? Um, I think we got some money from Metropolitan Life, 10,000 for all six of us. And it was actually came, Randy Rarick would often funnel me money That he got, and I say me, I mean Uh for the women's division. Wow. Because it was so much harder for me to get sponsors than it was for him. I mean, he got all of Pan Am. He got, you know, so he would say, hey, you know, New York life. Here's 10. Again, thank you, New York. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, so so there's a picture of me with the then mayor of Honolulu, Sun, Sally Prang, Claudia Kravitz, and... Um, and Becky Benson wearing these T-shirts that say New York Life. <laughs> Still have that. So that's the only sponsor I ever remember getting, and that during that first year.
0: The, it sounds like Randy Rarick though was was quite supportive, or, or uh, of of women's professional surfing. He sounds like the one that that kind of in that. Triumphant, I guess, between you and and uh, Fred and him, he was the one that would be the tiebreaker, and it sounds sounds like he was more sympath- sympathetic to to the cause.
2: You know, I didn't mean to say that Fred wasn't, because honestly, not, not saying when he, when wasn't, we formed, he, was, he wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I, you just have to know when we formed IPS in '76, he was paying me. I was making a hundred dollars a month to run it, and it was wow. coming out of his pocket. Wow. So wow. because he was trying to launch it, and 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 uh, and I know Randy got two hundred, but Randy had like four times the amount of surfers to manage, wow. and and the tour was twice as big. So I was okay with that, but yeah, and and Randy was always, uh, you know, you know, even today we st- I'll have to show you a photo that the three of us we just we meet for lunch oh. all the time, and then just you know do the same dynamics. Fred and I will argue with love, <laughs> and then um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's, oh, we go back what what is that what is that Tyler 76 45 76 years?
0: about 40 yeah about 45 years almost That's, 46 yeah 40, 40, 40 yeah 40 something more 45 years yeah
2: 45
0: years, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 46 wow yeah time flies <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then I guess like, how did, so you had the, who the women's hooey and then did you get wind that, that Fred and Randy were forming a pro tour and, and did you, or did they come to you or did you go to them? Uh, and, cause there was also like that first pro event where it's equal prize money and then it changed after that. Correct.
2: Well, I don't know, but here's what happened. Um, yeah. Is that the the Hawaii women surfing who you know at the time Fred was would you know he had been inviting just one surfer who had been in Playboy magazine to the Smirnoff, <laughs> just one and she was a good surfer and I like her at Laura yeah. Blair's Ching but oh, you know the Hui yeah. was going hey hello you know <laughs> and so uh, they said okay we need someone to go talk to Fred you know we have to fix these this invitation thing and this was like '73 I think. And wow. so it was three years before the Torah, and somehow it was me. You know, it's one of those things where sometimes <laughs> I'll go, come on, men, follow me. And then you turn around and you're, there's no one there. <laughs> so there I was. I was like, I was 19 maybe, I don't know, wow. 20, meeting Fred at the Outrigger Canoe Club for lunch at his invitation. And when I called them, he said, who are you and what do you think uh, – it was the first thing out of his mouth I'll never forget. Where, who do you think you are telling me how to run my contests? <laughs> I said, well, I'm from the Hawaii Women's Um And so he let me put, because I was, my title was pro competition director after that of the HUI. Yeah. So um, he let me put on like the first quali- qualifying contest for women because we said, we don't, we need a system for inviting the women, and so did the men. Actually, because Randy, will even say you know, it was a lot of it was word of mouth, or oh, he won this contest. Let's invite him. And it's
0: who you knew, so, basically.
2: Yeah, and so at that point, we sort of made this informal structure. Like, okay, he said, you know, your top three finishers can be in my contests, you know, because he put on it was his, they were yeah. his contests. You and so I worked with them for a few years. So in seventy six, when he you know, was thinking, OK, IPS. He asked Randy to run the men's division and then he asked me to run the women's because we already had been working together.
0: Wow. And, so and he,
2: I have to crack up. Yeah,
0: I was going to say. So he when he formed the IPS, it was to include women, too. That was kind of the yes. idea. It was not just to be men's and that was it, which is right. which is amazing. I, I think that's really cool. Because I, 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 ne- I never knew that. I never knew exactly how it formed in that sense. And I had always been under the impression that he pre- had to be pressured to allow women. And that's really cool to, to know that it wasn't that case. It was more, we're going to do a pro tour of men and women.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny because we all start at the same time, you know, but if, but if you look at all of the, I mean, just look it up on Wikipedia, look anywhere, you know, not that that's the ultimate source, but in the history of surfing, <laughs> they'll say the Pro Tour started by Fred Hemmings and Randy Rarick. Yeah. And it's like, hey, hello, over I, here, uh, <laughs> you know, there were women. But um, even, you know, when the WSL, <clears throat> they did their Founders Cup a few years ago. Yeah. And they put a plaque and it said, the founders of Pro Surfing, they didn't say, the founders of men's pro surfing no. they said that, and they named like maybe eight men they named fred and randy and ian and then the rest weren't necessarily founders they were just former world champions not just wow. but okay but there and i was saying hello you know um and uh That's one crazy. of the uh one of the uh former world champions that was in that group said well patty you weren't part of that because you weren't at our meetings we knew you weren't there at the beginning because you weren't at our meetings. And my response to him was, well, you know what? You weren't at my meetings. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's how I felt about that. And to this day, it's like, mm, I don't want to go to the surf ranch. I don't want to yeah. look at that plaque. And then a few years later, they put wonderful Debbie Beecham in because she picked up the tour in 82 and we yeah. regenerated it. Love her. And Lynn, who's close friend, Lynn Boyer. Um, she was the world champion, but yeah. it's like the history books just forget the women, and I don't know why. It's, I know it's, why because I know who wrote the history back then, and it sort of perpetuates itself. But they have to it, fix it. I mean, now I feel like I'm teaching in my gender and law class. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. keep going.
0: I'm I'm listening. I'm listening. I because <laughs> to me, as someone who who is a, a student of surf history, who who I love it. You know. But over the last few years, I've I've been learning more and more and realizing, like, how much is missing and particularly women's surf history. It was, you know, it's all left out. The magazines didn't write about it, didn't cover it. The photographers were told by the editors not to shoot women. Uh, And then some of the photographers were were kind of jerks to women. Dan Merkel, Um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you know? And every time and he it,
2: saw me, he'd say, Have you learned to stand up yet? It's like, <laughs> I was like, it's like what? You
0: know? <laughs> you know, it wasn't properly documented. And it's such a shame because to me, I find it more interesting than than the men. You know, like you hear the sob story of, you know, I mean, we, we talked about this with Sandy, but it's like you hear the sob story of Rabbit, you know, and you know, and you're like, Yeah, well, that's uh, that's harsh. But then it's like god the women had it so much harder and more difficult and their story is far more interesting to me there's so many more obstacles and then many of you had to leave surfing you know uh professional surfing you know because it wasn't paying, it wasn't lucrative and so you had to broaden your horizons outside of the surfing sphere which to me is actually much more uh i think honorable not honorable i don't want to say that but it's 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 more enlightening, I think, because you start to see there's a bigger world outside of surfing and many of them just kept stayed in the cocoon of surfing.
2: Yeah. You know, when I ran the tour in 77, I was so poor, Tyler, that I didn't figure out until maybe three or four days before we were starting the tour, leaving for Australia that I had I couldn't afford to go. Oh, and I had God. to go to, I had, I had arranged everything. I had done everything. So I went to Randy, and I said, Randy, can you just record the, the standings for me? Can you record who got what place? And then I'll, I'll take it from there when you get home. I mean, I just remember the night they left. I was just in oh, tears and time. drinking. You know? <laughs> and they were at the airport. They were taking a red eye, you know, and I was just like, this is so unbelievable. You know, I was I was working, you know a job as a waitress, and I, and I was a waiter and, you know, whatever, food server, and uh, we called my, called them waitresses then, uh, food server, and then making my $100 a month and surfing and couldn't afford it. But, but then you're talking about how we were treated. I mean, on that first tour in 76, yeah. oh, my God, the stuff they did to us, that the sponsors and all, you know.
0: What, what, go on. I'm all ears here. <laughs> like what sort of well, so like what thing, are we talking about
2: well the first contest was uh, in conjunction with the gunston 500 for the men and yeah. our sponsor was the chapsticks chapstick like you know wow chapstick. and when we got there these two bright advertising guys uh from chapstick said uh, we don't have the money to pay you like your prize money we didn't think you'd really show up so what? actually but we have a solution We're gonna do a nationwide raffle and the winner gets his choice of a date with with whichever one of you he desires. And then we'll take all that money and we'll give some of it to you for prize money. And boy, what a marketing scheme, right? And we said, no, no, this is not gonna happen. So our reward for saying no was, I think they, they lowered the prize money and it didn't make the IPS minimum. Um, and you know, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, it's hilarious the things that we were asked by the journalists on the tour. I've got boxes of newspaper articles, and and I always t- I always tell people this: the very first question any of us got asked was, and we thought, oh, we're athletes, you know? Have you ever surfed naked? <laughs> you know, and it was like, I don't know, do you ask? Are you asking Sean Thompson that? I- I'm just wondering, you know. <laughs> Um, so I, mean, I mean, I mean, Sean
0: naked would would totally bring in a lot of views had they done that. Actually, He <laughs> was good looking. He had a nice butt. I'm not just gonna say,
2: Sean Thompson, one of the nicest people we know. Because when we got to Durban, our hotel was a mess. You know, rodents. Just it was weird. And his mom and he and his sister, whom I love to this day. His mm. mom just recently passed away. She's so amazing. Uh, took us in. Oh. Took us in. And we stayed with them for a few weeks, you know. And it was like so kind, you know. And so, and, and his brother Paul was there too. It was just so very nice. So, it's yeah. The reason,
0: there's a reason they call him the gentleman surfer, you know.
2: Yes. <laughs> the consummate yes.
0: professional. Yeah. I mean, we all
2: became, everybody on that first tour became very close. There were some amazing people on it
0: how what what was the reaction of you know sandy and i touched on this in our last interview about like the australian men and their attitudes towards women because that to me is like it feels like in many ways still it's just like i mean just recently i think tracks magazine just put a female on the cover for like one of the first times done by like a female photographer you know and this is we're in 2022 right now. Like this is crazy when you think about it. Um, you know that that attitude. Definitely, I'm curious like how the how those surfers were and how they reacted to the women. And and I also imagine like it's it's weird like because you all were fighting for very limited resources in terms of money too, because there wasn't a lot of money in the men's side either. Um, how would they? Were they jealous when you did get attention? Was it, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like the the experiences you might have had with them.
2: You know, I don't want to offend an entire continent.
0: No, so. of course. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, there's still there's plenty of lovely okay. people there. I'm people just, there just saying no. that the surfers <laughs> that were on tour right. at the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And that's what I'm thinking so it was actually an Aussie who told me, well, you weren't there at our meetings. Uh, so, um, so I don't no, – first of all, on the tour, we made friends with all of them, and we're still yeah, friends, yeah. You know, even the person that said that to me. Uh, but, you know, and, and I really, <laughs> really like these guys. But what it was, it was not hostility. It was just a disregard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like, uh, you know, they can't surf. You know, It was, it was a disregard. Yeah. I think, and it was, the Aussies more than anyone, were, you know, but then there's a whole Aussie thing and they'll tell you about, you know, their bravado and their pride with who they are in the water. And mm-hmm. maybe it was the same disregard they gave to Hawaiians that started that whole fight in the eighties. I don't know, because by then I had gone to law school. I wasn't, you know, involved As
0: in <clears throat> As someone who, who, you know, has, has fought for like equity in the workplace and, you know, what's it like with your legal mind now and and the experiences you have now looking back on those experiences and, and, you know, do you think like, oh my God, I can't believe we allowed this sort of stuff. Or I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are when you start to look back on that.
2: I wish I'd had my um, ability to speak more eloquently as opposed to just get frustrated or shut my mouth or just say something immature you know yeah. um, like especially that first day with like well well, anyway yeah like when I met Fred I wish I'd have been at the table instead of like this oh my god I'm like here with Fred you know I wish I would have been a little bit more alright here's the thing according to the United States Supreme Court of course <laughs> title 7 wasn't in yet but you know, you know build it and they will come you've got to invest in us if you're saying it's not worth the advertising time why is everybody coming out to see us so that translates to money and you should give up you know i would be able to argue so much more and and on such a better level but you know i was a 19 year old kid so no
0: obviously i yeah.
2: i feel like i that's what i i see now in in me i thought hmm too bad but oh well it worked you know i did i did a good job but now m- uh, i'd eat them all for lunch and still be hungry <laughs>
0: What do you what do you think of the <laughs> not surfers in a hostile tip? way, not no, not, of not my friends, no, no, in not a Fred or Randy, randy or <clears throat> yeah, but exactly. I, I I imagine now like what you think of the surfers now because the women now uh, many of them are so much more one like the, the the information and the mindset is so different and I feel like the there's so, there's so much more aware of of what they can and can't do and and what's fair i mean it's it's a uh, it's incredible you know to to see I, and i imagine you must be quite proud or or feel like some sort of sense of like ah oh, finally like does that how does that how does that register for you
2: i i really love their sense of entitlement you know yeah. they have a, it's like my daughters they wouldn't have put up with that you know what, what yeah. i had to now they, you know they're they have a big sense of entitlement too in terms of their value and what they're entitled to. But I, so I, I love that. I, I don't know that a lot of them really understand what it was like before. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you just, you know, maybe, maybe you just sort of take the, take it at your generation and move forward because every generation I see, including my own thinks you're the only one that, you know, everybody. When I first started surfing, I thought everybody before us didn't surf. You know, they use those big old boards. You know, and then you know the '80s, they look at '90s, and everybody kind of does that until they start getting older, and then they see the whole time continuum. And then now, I like I worship those women who were before me. You know, I just think they were they they were awesome. You know, it was a different world for each generation for each decade you know I just yesterday they unveiled a statue of Joyce Hoffman at Dana Point I Harbor know. I missed it I couldn't go down there I was invited and I sent her a, a lay, a Hawaiian lay, and a note mm. and stuff but I just you know she was she was a little bit before me and I just you know I think they're awesome she's awesome and these young girls oh my god they kick ass I just you know watching them surf without fear and their their sense of everything and Carissa I'm just a big fan Stephanie you
0: know when I when I I watch so, so many of them now and the level too that they are surfing on to me it makes me realize like how important representation is and being able to see something to be able to achieve it and I see the level where they're at and right now from from certain uh pollings that I've seen uh, you know, over the few last few years, like, you know, the surfing population is about 30% women and around 70% men, roughly, you know, from from certain polls. And I don't know how scientific these are. But, you know, if we had equal representation back when you were on tour, and I imagine like I can't imagine where we would be sometimes, like where women surfing would be, because I see the this winter particularly, that Red Bull magnitude event that they're doing with the women on big waves, it's just like blowing the door. You know, that glass ceiling is being blown up to smithereens and you're seeing like the level just, they're starting to catch up to the men. And I think, I think there's no real performance barrier actually between men and women. I just think it's, it's the, the opportunities that have been there and the, Ability to see and to believe, basically.
2: I love your sentiments in that regard, and it and there's a, a quote I always use. It's from what, my gender and law class. I got it just applies to exactly, It's right on point with what you're saying, and that is that when it when Title IX first came around and the universities didn't want to didn't want to allot half of the sports money to women because there weren't that many athletes the United States Supreme Court said in this case it was Cohen versus I think Brown University said interest and ability rarely develop in a vacuum it evolves with opportunity and something else that I can't remember but the point is you know of course you know if, if you if, if you if you give if there's interest you know and if you give there's opportunity and they can see other women surfing, and they know what's there, it will develop. You gotta give them the chance, yeah. right? And so it, it's been slow because of that. So it, it developed, but it was not so many women were interested. Then more women were interested. Plus there was this whole cultural thing going on where they used to make fun of our surf muscles in the 70s because women at the time, until you know, those days when Jane Fonda started her workout you know, mm-hmm. tapes and women actually started exercising, they thought it was odd that we had these big surf, you know, you know men and, and, and the culture in general thought it was odd that we had. As a matter of fact, I've got to tell you the story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when we were going on tour, O'Neill said, we're going to give you custom wetsuits, and they asked for all of our measurements. <laughs> well, when, when, when we gave them our chest measurements, they were really big because we've got these lats, right? In our back, that you know, from paddling. So our chests were measuring very big. So I guess (laughs) when O'Neill gave it. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess the only thing I can guess is when O'Neill gave it to their people who sew these custom wetsuits, they
0: they came
2: and, and we called them the Barbie wetsuits. But they had the biggest pokey boobs in them and they stuck out so far in these big coat boobs. And then there was no, you know, our backs. So we ended up having to take uh, uh, men's wetsuits and boys' wetsuits. I took a little boys' wetsuit size instead. But, you know, that's, you know, women just weren't built like we were built in the 70s. And now they are. But you know, I could, you know, I could arm wrestle guys back, you know, back then, but so so could these pro women today. i sure.
0: Absolutely I I wonder if those <laughs> wetsuits are hanging somewhere. <laughs> like, you know, that needs to be an exhibit stolen. in shack.
2: Yeah, mine got stolen, you know. But I tell you what is is still being passed around. There's a wetsuit. You know, I went to a contest in New York. There you go. Really? <laughs> yeah, Ooh. and this was actually after law school. I just went, just went for fun as a pro Is this contest. The one in West I qualified. Southampton.
0: Southampton. At yeah, Shinnecock little... Inlet. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. And the and there was a little cheap motel we all stayed, and one of the women, uh, she we were cold. It was New York in September. And she, did, she was trying to get her wetsuit dry because it hadn't dried from the night before. You know, like I say, we're from Hawaii and, Cal- and California and stuff. And so she put it in the oven and it caught fire. Okay. But she didn't know. She put it on, on broil. and It was, it was a, a demi hull. And, um, and Candy Woodward, Debbie put it in. And she, she put it on broil and then she forgot about it. And then, you know, until the whole room got black with smoke. And so we couldn't pull it out because it was like, hot, right? And we didn't have any utensils. It was a motel room. And so uh, it had all these holes in it. And we finally got it. She had to wear it the next morning in the contest. It's got holes in it. So we rode on it. And, you know, for occasions like birthdays or weddings or I, I presented it to Debbie as, as a disguised thank you gift at surfing heritage and culture center, which in a big Nordstrom box and she opened it up. It was the, the wetsuit and um, we just keep giving it back. It goes around, around, I think Kenny Woodward has it. And I think, you know, I just talked to her about it the other day, you know, it's the sisterhood of
0: the traveling <laughs> and, wetsuit.
2: And, and we sign it, you know, with, and draw pictures on it. It's, and with the holes and, There you go. That
0: that was our life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! I you gotta like gotta like put it in like a like a Gucci box next time, you know, to really psych someone out.
2: (laughs) I know, I know.
0: (laughs) I um, I want to ask. Uh, I'm going backwards a little bit, but I'm curious. Like Colonel Al Benson, what was he like? Because he seems amazing like in terms of support and what he did for his kids and, and women's surfing. I'm just kind of curious because I I don't get to hear a lot about him and I feel like he's super important to the story of, of women's professional surfing actually and professional surfing.
2: Well first of all his daughter Becky Benson is one yes, I consider of one of my closest friends today. I see Becky all the time and um yeah. And I know her sister Blanche and I know her sister Betsy and I knew her brothers and her mom and her dad. And, you know, uh, Becky, you know, um, I mean, Colonel Benson, you know, he kind of did his own thing. He really supported his daughters and, and mm-hmm. whoever they brought around. You know, he was great like that. And she would have all kinds of legends hanging out at her house. You know, um, Tiger Sparrow, Rory right. Russell you know she'll she'll tell you all the names eddie i cow was always there so you know colonel benson would always be at the contest or at the beach shooting it was his photography was his was his hobby and yeah. um and so he was sort of part of the north shore he was part of the you know culture and there. does
0: he did he have a lot of f- photography of the women then did he did he of shoot his, at least of the kids, yeah. I imagine.
2: His, yeah, his daughters, yes. I'm not sure about beyond that. But, you know, he, uh-huh. he, he shot a lot of the men. And, you know, he was a wonderful man. Both her parents were wonderfully nice people, as is uh-huh. Becky today.
0: Now, have you seen the movie Girls Can't Surf, the movie yet?
2: You know, people kept telling me, don't go, Patty, because they make it seem like everybody started in the 80s. So I, yes. I haven't had a chance to see it. Maybe I shouldn't, but, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm sure it's good. And I love those women. I know who they are. You know, I've admired them.
0: Because it, it definitely, I when, I it, 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 well, when I watch it, yeah, because when I've seen it, like, <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. I, I'm not uh, in any way, like, I think it's phenomenal, but it's also a really big story and it definitely focuses on a certain era but it just it seems to me like the gen- your generation and your era like to me is something that has yet to be fully explored and and fully documented and it really i think it's one ripe for 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 a documentary but also even like a tv series i could see like there's so much that could be done on it and And I'm curious, like, are you you're involved with the with Shaq, with the Surfing Heritage uh, Arts and Cultural uh, Surfing Heritage and Cultural Center. Like, is there something being done to help preserve that and to, to tell that story at the moment?
2: Not through Shaq, but, you know, I've always thought, you know, talk about just the stories I've told you about that first tour. I mean. I kept a journal. I mean, we had really. from episode after episode after of everything that happened to us on that very first world tour, the part of know. me that, that um, yeah, and I still have it too, but um, part of me, I just think, what a documentary, what a movie. You know, Damn. it'd be a league of their own, you know, but I think, oh, my God, I'm so tired doing all this other stuff. I would love to collaborate with somebody because there's so much there. And, you know, every one of those women, we had such incredible stories to tell it was me it was sally sally praying it was becky benson Rel's son and jericho poplar and wow. um claudia kravitz that's it there were only six of us there were only six on that first and oh my god it was a riot just you know the stuff they put us through stuff we experienced and it was wonderful but the men was weren't going through through that, but the men were nice yeah. to us. The pro yeah. surfers were
0: nice to us. Yeah, I'm curious what sort of hijinks you guys got up to as well. <laughs> I know <laughs> what sort of yeah. fun fun nights where you play pranks on each other and other people, and like I I can't imagine like the the in some ways being young and traveling around the world, and 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 also like not having a lot of money in some ways makes you really creative you know it it makes you have to be super creative on how you get from a to to b and c you know and and what you had to do to to move to get to the next stop like like, i can't imagine we
2: we were innovative and you know i'm thinking of the partying that was being done back then with women and men that, you know all the pro surfers on that first tour it wouldn't happen with WSL like the food fights at the banquets alone you know that would have been enough probably to get you kicked out of the WSL uh but you know I mean I remember okay so I live in this very nice you know southern California neighborhood very boring now and I was uh you remember that movie Blue Crush came out yeah. and there was a scene when the girl in that movie was uh she was lying on like a little like a three inch mattress pad, I think, in a house at pipeline, and she wakes up and goes, Oh, I hear the surf. You know, it's kind of corny, but she's on this mattress pad, you know, just sleeping, no covers. And this lady I'm at the movies with, who lives in my nice neighborhood, looks leans over to me. She says, I'm just sure, who lives like that? And I thought. <laughs> what the hell where am i living these days i need to move out of this place You know. so um well we did you know and when i heard sandy's interview about sleeping in the car it's like yeah and you know we all we all did we all were you know it's hand to mouth for surfing i remember not even being able to feed my poor dog i'd have to go off to my morning breakfast wait you know food surfer job I got made eight dollars in tips bought some dog food and came home and fed him first you know I mean but it was all for surfing and the tour at times I mean we we usually had places arranged to stay you know um and and that was okay and and like I remember in in Rio the Sheraton put us up but they weren't happy once they realized you know there all the surfers were there and it was like we were trashing the place and then all the people were coming in to see us, and oh my God, it was a party. So, but but there were friends you make friends with surfers, and then you house them when they come to Hawaii, or you know, or you 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 get in these terrible hotels, whatever. It's, it wasn't glamorous, but no. I suppose it's a lot nicer now to be on the tour. I wouldn't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I, I have to ask when did you make the decision to go to law school and how did that, how did that come about? Like, was it, was it just throwing your hands up in the air? Like I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. Or, or, you know, did, and how did you, how did you get the want to go to law school?
2: Well, I, it had taken me eight years to get through college You know, wherever I could, I would take a class. I went to, I got classes at four different colleges. I even went to San Diego for one semester because I wanted to try the California surf. And I took a class or two while I was there. Took, my favorite was Leeward Community College, which is like 20 minutes from the North Shore in Waipahu. Love that. Didn't like it when I had run out of, it was because it was only community I couldn't, you know, I had to go to University of Hawaii eventually. So even then, you know, uh, I would, you know, often start a semester and then have to stop because I'm sorry, I have to go surfing. I'm going on <laughs> tour or whatever, you know. Uh, but um, so, it, it by, you know, I was, I w- let's see, I guess what made me decide to, yeah, what did I? You know, I looked around and and, and maybe I left too soon. I don't know. I wonder about that. But I looked around and... I just thought, okay, this is profoundly sad. And I don't even want to tell you who this is. But Mm -hmm. there was a guy who, um, very, very famous surfer. And when I used to go surf, like Pupakea, Ehukai, Pipeline, that whole area, you know, Ehukai Beach Park, Mm -hmm. he would be sitting on the picnic bench, drunk, you know, eight in the morning, kind of overweight. And, you know, and I'd say, hello, and Sally would say, that's. So and so, and I go oh, hello, you know. So and so, I, I don't want to say who he is because I just yeah. loved him. But uh, and and then she told me, you know, he used to be. And then I and I started looking around. And I thought, okay, regroup, regroup. Is this what will happen to me before I even know it happens? And I got kind of scared. I mean, I've never really confessed this to anybody, but I just thought, how old am I now? I'm in my late twenties. I barely scraped by with a college degree from you know. And, and my DPA wasn't great, to tell you the truth, because I was busy surfing. You know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a full time student uh, ever. I never had that college experience. And, and I just thought, you know, uh, and this guy that I was dating, I mean, he got into law school and I and uh, he's kind of a jerk. And,
0: and, and you know, like I got smarter oh, than him.
2: <laughs> if he could get it. And when I saw him getting accepted, I thought, holy moly he can get in, I can get in. <laughs> I don't know, that arrogant or just, I just, he was kind of a bad guy. Um, and so, so when it came around, I applied, I took the LSAT and I applied and I was like, hey, got a pretty good score there. What, what a fluke, you know? And then um, I got accepted and then I was scared. I thought, I don't know what to do now. Am I really going to leave everything, you know? And I, it was just kind of happened. And, and then I, and then of course, I got accepted at some other law schools, but Pepperdine, I thought, oh, it's on the beach in Malibu. <laughs> hey, this must be the best law school in the whole country, right? <laughs> I can, And I surfed every morning before school, and I'd get into my classes. You know, they have those tiered classes, you know, classrooms, and I'd yeah, say, yeah. you know, Miss Panicha, stand up and brief the next case, and I'd lean over my book, and all on this water G. would come out, and I think people <laughs> would go, what a weird girl. And, you know, a lot of times I'd show up to class, you know, an 8 a.m. class or 9 a.m. class, whatever, with soaking wet hair because I'd surf the boo. And then I'd come in, you know, take a hot shower and run to school. And uh, they, I guess they just thought I, uh, maybe that I took a shower. I don't know what they thought. They were going, why are you always all wet?
0: she's up late studying and all morning. And then she had to shower really quick, you know?
2: (laughs) And here's the thing. Students go crazy in law school. I just went surfing. You know, it was, I never felt the stress that they all seem to find. I just, I would sit there and right before a big exam, instead of like raising my blood pressure, I think this is not, this, this is not like paddling out to big sunset. You know, I'd think that all the time. And I'd think, hmm, okay, I'm not going to die if I don't, uh, if I don't you know, do well on this exam. This is going to be easy. So that was kind of my experience. And then, you know, three years later, I graduated. Wow. And then
0: entering the, the legal world must have been pretty, quite a stark difference uh, from the life you were living. That must have been a bit of a culture shock.
2: You know, yeah, just coming to law school was a culture shock because,
0: yeah.
2: like, friends would say you want to hang out, and I'd go sure, and then I'd knock on their door at eight in the morning, you know, and they'd be like sleeping till you know. I mean, it, there, everything was everything was different. They they just thought I was a weird girl because I, I was out of sync, you know. But mm. but yeah, it was weird, like you know, interviewing for these lawyer jobs, uh, and I got offered lawyer jobs, and I just thought I'm not gonna wear nylons, I'm not gonna, you know. I can't do that. I mean, every single day? You want me to dress like that? And, you know, uh, I'll do the work. But, you know, so so I did, you know, I did a little work. I clerked for a federal judge, which is a good thing to do as a loss, you know, graduating loss. But in the end, I just said, you know, I just realized I don't like this culture of confrontation. I'm good at it. You know, I'm pretty scrappy, but I don't want to live it. So... I thought, you know, I liked all those reporters I met along the way. I think I'll be one of them. So I, you know, after passing the bar, first in Hawaii and then in California, as if one wasn't enough, I just thought, well, I don't know where I want to live now, so I better take both. Ouch. Um, I just thought, okay, I want to be a television news reporter. (laughs) It's like, what? And my dad just said, what the hell? You know, he was already bugged. You know, that I'd been a surfer and <laughs> now I was not going to be taking this job at this big old law firm. Uh, I mean, I did some legal work, but.
0: Uh, well, it I- ended up working really well for you, it seems. And, you know, and that the timing was probably really good because, you know, court TV and all that sort of stuff in the early 90s really started to come up and everyone started really getting into you know, law, using that in, in news reporting particularly.
2: But this was 82.
0: 82. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so. good timing in the sense that eventually yeah, you yeah. Were,
2: pioneering yeah, eventually that we were pioneering that
0: as well, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember when Court TV got invented, they, they offered me a job but I was already <laughs> happily ensconced somewhere else that I knew the people by then. And Fred Graham, he was the CBS legal uh, correspondent at the time he was my hero and um, no I started at the rock bottom I started on cable TV you know wow. like a, a South Bay cable news in, in Manhattan Beach you know and it was like it was so funky it was like public access TV and there were like three clocks behind me when I anchored and they the, the hands never moved you know <laughs> on, the, on the
0: clocks but but I guess like CNN started right like 82 right 81 82 and, and so news as entertainment, I guess, kind of started taking off at that time. And so it became more, you know, you started to see more and more of that sort of, um, you know, journalism and reporting, I guess, on TV it became uh, a bit more. So I guess like that timing with you in, in some ways. Yeah, you still had to claw your way to the top. But I imagine like it's the timing was was pretty good in that sense.
2: I guess so. I I, I I don't know what to compare it to. I, I don't know how it was before. Well, I do. I mean, it seemed very male-dominated to me, but I was used to that, you know. Uh, n- yeah, I, I don't know, because, you know, honestly, <laughs> I don't know how, how to put it in perspective. It was just, you know, I just climbed up from there. You know, in TV news, you have to, you go to bigger and bigger TV stations because yeah. there's more audience, so their advertising time sal- sells for more so they can pay you more. And The top of the heap is L.A. and New York, right, if you're working yeah. there, or for a network where you're broadcasting nationwide. Um, so I just kept trying to go to, but the next city was Santa Barbara. Not bad, Oof. you know. So then I started surfing Hammond's Reef and the ranch. And I was <sighs> like, hey, met my husband there. I was going, this place oh. is cool. Rincon, oh, my God. I found a lady who who uh, lived in Montecito on the beach, and she had a guest house. I lived in it, so um, it was really fun, you know. But then I thought, well, I have to keep going up, so I took a job in LA. Big mistake, (laughs) bad career choice, you know. Because it's like,
0: careful what you wish for. It was a bad choice. (laughs)
2: Yeah, careful what you wish for. You just might get it, you know. And I'm living in LA, and I don't have Santa Barbara. I don't have Hawaii. You, know, you get
0: caught up but in I have my
2: too. family's home in Hawaii and I'm there as much as I can
0: let me ask you do you, do your daughters surf
2: they surf I tried to get them to cut school and go surfing and they wouldn't I mean they I <laughs> okay, I gotta tell you they <laughs> they are such good girls it's like it must skip generations but you know I remember there was one day when they were in elementary school and they and I convinced them because the school was saying now don't take off early for spring break because we get paid by the state depending if you're present or not and I said come on we're leaving like two days like Wednesday or Thursday we're leaving for Hawaii you know we're go early and so they're going no no we can't you know so we're at the airport they're going mommy did you call us in sick and went oh forgot let me do it right now and they're like oh my god we're gonna die so I start calling him in sick oh Alana and Malia are very sick. I'm leaving this on a, a voicemail thing, right? And all of a sudden in the background it goes, Hawaiian Airlines, flight 10 huh? down for Hawaii is now boarding. And my, daughters, my daughters started crying. It's gonna go going to go on a permanent record. I know. I thought, what have I done? What have I raised here, you know? One of them just got her Ph.D. at Harvard, Uh, um, and and now she just got her first job teaching at Cambridge. And the other is a business. That one's 31. She's 30. The other one's 29. And she uh, runs a—she's a a very high-level business person. And I still think they needed to have more fun. I tried. (laughs) I really did. I I don't understand it. (laughs) Do—
0: Well, you know, it's like it's always the kids do the opposite of the parents, I feel like, you know, it's like, yeah,
2: I mean, especially if you're too cool
0: of a parent, you know, it's like the whole uh, Alex P. uh, Keaton thing from Family Family Ties, you know. Yeah. the hippie parents, and you know, he becomes a Reagan, uh, you know, Reagan, uh, Reaganite, you know. Reagan, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, like surfing is like, yeah, they surf like that's mom's thing. But, you know, honestly, they were very close and we have a lot of fun together. But surfing was just something they took for granted. It was like, I, like, like, like we took them surfing and I, and, and they didn't realize it. I like, go, that's your Auntie Lynn. That's your Auntie Becky. These these people were world champions, you know, and they were yeah. like, OK, whatever they're taking you surfing They're, you know, they would be helping it's kind me. It's a big teach my deal. Kids. Do you not realize <laughs> yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or we you know, we'd run into like Sonny Garcia and he's telling me you're a legend. And they're going, why is my mom a legend? You know, <laughs> and they're like, they don't, they were like, okay, whatever. Can we have dinner now? You know,
0: today, <laughs> do <Did> they, <laughs> that's did they how it ever, ever do they ever ask or are they ever interested now as they're older in, in like your history with surfing? And do they, do they fully understand or appreciate the the role you played?
2: Uh, yes, they do now. Uh, they understand it. Um, my older daughter loves telling stories to, you know, her professorial friends at Cambridge <laughs> and her, your graduate cohort at Harvard and one of her advisors had me paid me 150 bucks to talk on zoom to a class she was teaching for entering freshmen last year yes. on the California culture on surfing and I thought oh, okay <laughs> I'll do that you know so yeah they do bring me up at times and it's kind of a novelty I think and then the younger one she uh she likes the surfing culture you know she likes to be you know yeah that's my mom you know so now that she's older she'll, that's she'll got plainly, cachet. yeah yeah
0: now that surfing's in the olympics you know it's like yeah <laughs> and carissa Moore is everywhere you're like that's because of my yeah. mom <laughs> um I guess uh you know i'm gonna wrap this up but one of my what I want to do is like first your, your involvement with Shaq, like what sort of stuff are you doing with them? And, and, um, you know, is there anything that you're working on at the moment that we should be, that our listeners should be aware of or be looking, to, looking forward to?
2: With regard to Shaq or with regard Shaq to Shaq
0: or any yeah. sort of projects you're working on, uh, perhaps taking that diary of yours and turning it into a book maybe just wink, wink, nod, nod, maybe.
2: You know, I, I, I'm tempted to write a book, but you know, I did a book in, in the year 2000 for Valentine, you know, and they say, and hardly anybody bought it. <laughs> and Valentine paid me real money, and I felt like I stole their money. It's like, sorry, you didn't sell, sorry, I wasn't on the New York Times bestseller list, right? But, um, no, I mean, I, it, you know, it, sometimes. It, it, it,
0: You know, I mean, I think surfing would sell sell more, maybe.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a movie script. Yeah, I think there's a movie script there and a documentary. But I need a partner in that. I I can't do it all. You know, I've got to, I'm trying to divest myself of the rest of my work these days so I can free (laughs) myself up. So maybe when I get rid of all that, which should be by the summer. I told Pepperdine I teach one more semester and that's the coming fall. And then I think I'm going to retire I think I would love, I would love it. Hey, if anybody's listening, yeah, let's listeners call, call Tyler. If,
0: if you've got money <laughs> and know of a producer, let's make a movie. Actually, you know, like, I mean, my last guest this week, this past week was, was a filmmaker. I'll have to now talk to her, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it just feels like there's a, there is a bit of a big, bigger push with with women and surfing and diversity and surfing and you have like that that magazine emotion i don't know if you've seen that yet but it's it's beautiful and it's uh you know done by a couple friends of mine actually and it's all about inclusion and in surfing and uh showing the diverse backgrounds of all the surfers and highlighting them as instead of focusing on just the professional surfing and um yeah, I feel like there's people out there, listeners, if you are out there and want to see a movie uh, on the birth of professional surfing and women's professional surfing, please reach out.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the antics. And the shenanigans. And you also, sorry, you ask about surfing heritage and culture centers. Yes. So I should say, yes, I love that place. I'm actually co-chairman of the board of directors there. And we are the, really, um, our museum has $4 million in assets. That's, wow. uh, you know, surfboards, wetsuits, just, are, and, and, you know.
0: Every magazine. We are, magazine.
2: We're, we're, yes. And, and we're not getting paid. We're, you know, we have three employees, but, I mean, this is like people who want to preserve surfing's history and culture. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I mean, no other museum comes close to us, the rest of them. They, they rent our like our surfboards for their exhibits, you know. I mean, it's like we and we have someone from the Smithsonian on our advisory council. So it, it's it's come by. It's in San Clemente anytime, and we're really preserving the history of surfing, you know. So just wanted to not only that, but you then because we're nonprofit, plans.
0: and you have lesson plans on your website, you know, everything from uh, you know Nick Gabaldon to to you know professional surfing. It's amazing, like super cool. Like it's a wonderful resource.
1: Yeah, I
2: think so. I and mean, and and we're now we just hired a new archivist. We want to be the place where scholars and journalists and anybody comes where they need to access any history of surfing at all.
0: You've just you've just described heaven to me. You've got to visit. <laughs> I, be my yeah, guest. I do. <laughs> oh, Patty, this was so much fun. I had an absolute blast and i know karen's gonna be super jelly on this but um maybe we can get you back or maybe we can get you and sandy and lynn and a few others to do something uh you know maybe even live i don't know but um yeah we're i'm super honored that that you came on thank you so much
2: thank you tyler it's been a pleasure i've enjoyed it so much talking to you very very (laughs) much